Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. $20 billion, the agreement between First Nations and Ottawa to compensate First Nations children and families harmed by chronic underfunding of child welfare on reserves. So that $20 billion represents, well, let's ask our guest what it represents. And we also want to talk to our guest about other issues which remain unresolved in order to achieve reconciliation. And I do believe that a significant number of people really care about reconciliation. But how well are we doing at it? And one of the issues that always comes to mind, and I'll see emails from listeners immediately, and they'll say, well, what about the issue of clean drinking water? I think everybody's invested in this right across this country. Clean drinking water for First Nations. It's just not a fact for far too many. And, uh, you know, word salad is issued by politicians and nothing much gets done. It has to happen. Chief Cadmus DeLorme of Cowess's First Nations in Saskatchewan uh, always is very generous with his time for us. Uh, Chief, thank you very much. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Roy. I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Now, let me ask you about this, um, the agreement with the uh, federal government, because you had already, as a First Nation in Saskatchewan, had uh, reached an agreement with the provincial and federal government about children's well-being at your First Nation, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct, Roy. Tell us about that, please. Thank you. Uh, Roy, I'm going to use an analogy of a vehicle, just to clarify for the listeners and yourself. Think of a vehicle. What's in the vehicle right now? How much gas is in the tank? Are we overflowing? The the agreement Cows' First Nation uh, signed, uh, the coordination agreement, uh, empowering the Cowsis Child Welfare Law, we call Neo-Pima-Tisman, acting free means striving for a better life. That's in the vehicle. So that's, we, we gave Canada and the provinces exactly the resources we needed to get to parity with our children. So think of it as the headlights. The CHRT, which we're about to talk about in a, in a little bit, is the road behind us and the inequality that happened to date. Yeah, and it was major. I mean, it was generational. We've talked about the residential schools, and I think we should find a new name for those places. But uh, so, so there's a $20 billion agreement between First Nations and Ottawa, compensation for First Nations children and families who are harmed by the chronic underfunding of child welfare on, on reserves. Um, Chief Delorme, the initial number was $40 billion. Are you are you satisfied with this? Is this a good agreement? Roy, it's hard to put numbers to compensation. You know, like, like with the investment yeah, that forty billion will be coming uh, will make an impact. And and the, the reason that we are at this case, at this moment with the CHRT, um, this 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 case is it's consistent with the Canadian mm-hmm. Human Rights Act that every citizen in this country. Um, seeks from from this beautiful country, G7 country, Canada, we call it. But ultimately, Canada has uh, seized its discrimination against First Nation children. And and we got to understand before we even, you know, get the numbers, are they impactful? Why is Canada, um, you know, held accountable here? Well, First Nations never gave up jurisdiction of our children in care, but because of colonization because of the Canadian Constitution that delegated powers are given to federal and provincial and territorial jurisdiction, there's nothing in there respecting that First Nations also have jurisdiction. So 
the inequality that we see in child welfare today in every provincial budget, in incarceration and in the amount of Indigenous population is for the fact that Canada asserted jurisdiction but lacked the right resources which puts Indigenous people in the state that uh, we are in today. We're not asking for pity. We're not asking for anybody to feel sorry for us. But this $40 billion, uh, Roy, will be, you know, split between compensation, which is right for children in care that have uh, aged out, and we are compensating in, in um, you know, investing in them personally, but also $20 billion to help child welfare reform because t- children in care will continue. But the thing that's about to change is whose hand is now on the steering wheel in the car, who's calling the tune, and is the gas tank filled? Yeah, very true. Uh, so if I understand this correctly, federal government does pay for child welfare on reserves, but matches the spending of provincial governments if children are placed in foster care. Now, that's about as unfair as you can get, um, from my perspective. But more than 50% of children under 15 and in foster care are Indigenous Chief Delorm, speak to that. And the fact that a Canadian Human Rights Tribunal in 2016 ruled that Ottawa had discriminated against First Nations children, which Mr. Trudeau's government opposed, by the way, a court ruled against the federal government, and that's when the tribunal ordered the federal government to pay the $40,000 in compensation to each child who was removed from families without cause since 2006. And it would have been more, except for the Human Rights Tribunal, the maximum they can issue is a $40,000 in compensation. Would you speak to that, please? Uh, yes, Roy. Uh, this case has been going on since the 90s, so it's not just the current government, but every government has, um, you know, done what they could as a government. You know, what, what we ask of our government today is good government, uh, ju- justice, and, and freedom for all, and that's really tough to um, uh, address when there's inequality between First Nations people. And what I mean by that, Roy, is um, Canada, uh, you know, seems to want to settle, but the number that they feel and the number that they're coming up with in their meetings, which I'm not in that room, so I can't speak to what they're saying in the, these rooms, doesn't equal with what uh, Cindy Blackstock and the uh, First Nation Child and uh, Family Caring Society of Canada, who is a applicant in this, in this court case, and the Assembly of First Nations who represents the 630 rights holders as an advocacy. It's not a government. AFN is an advocacy. So that was the challenge, and so that's why it had to go uh, to the tribunal, is um, Canada's numbers uh, weren't equaling to what uh, Cindy Blackstock and the Canadian Society of Canada's First Nations, Child and Family, Canadian Society of Canada's, and then the AFN as well. So um, last week, uh, I'm very happy to share that all three have come to a conclusion on where this $20 billion should go, which is good, Roy, for, for all of Canada, because when First Nations are invested in for healing and prosperity, all of Canada succeeds. Yeah. So now we are just uh, now have to pass it back to the tribunal, uh, which we're hopeful that they will approve, and we can move on to the next chapter of standing beside First Nations people in this country as they heal. Chief Lorem, you're a, you're a young First Nations leader, and you're highly respected. And I just wonder sometimes, how challenging is it for First Nations leaders 
to deal with in-place governments, there may be more the in-place bureaucracies. You're dealing with people who, and I'm not being judgmental here, I'm just, this is a fact. You're dealing with people who've never spent, most of them have never spent 24 hours in a First Nation. So how are they going to understand what the issues are for First Nations in Canada? I mean, you do the best you can, and, and it's been going on, and I think with more energy in the last couple of years than for some previous time. But how, how difficult is it to, to communicate with governments that have no idea what life is like on a First Nation? Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy, I, I know I only got a brief time here, so I'm going to try to sum it up with some real fast words. And uh, please, if you have to stop me, I'm going to be about two minutes in my response here. The, the first um, is hope. That, that's something all society in this country drives on is hope. Hope for the future, hope for our children and children yet unborn. The reality is, is that, you know, I'm going to bring in the, the unmarked graves of residential school in the last, uh, uh, since Kamloops, Maryville, and many others. There's two things that this country has learned in how First Nation leadership uh, has our challenges and opportunities. For non-Indigenous people, the unmarked graves, uh, the shield is down. Many are admitting, I don't know much about the truth between Indigenous people and Canada. Like, this is a... This, that's a fact of the challenge leadership play in this country is we uh, have been advocating for decades and it is now at this moment that we feel that Canada is now beside us. Like that's huge for first nation leadership. Like this is validation of the pain, frustration, anger, tiredness. I, I, I love being a chief uh, Roy and uh, there's many out there just like myself and, and I'm learning from them. You know, my last point to try to bring to the conversation is Canada and the provinces and the territories have to adjust their attitude towards Indigenous people. Uh, I'm going to use a constitution number here, and it's in, the, in our constitution, Canada, section 9124. It states Indians and Indian land. For the first 170 years of this country, we have been told that on reserve is different than off the reserve. And that is a huge challenge because as a chief, I'm trying to unite my people. I'm trying to unite off and on. But because Canada and the provinces try and divide us between on and off, Section 9124 does not say on versus off. It says Indians and Indian land. So the governments have to adjust their attitude. And Indigenous people, I'm going to look in the mirror as well, Roy. We as well, too, have to get our house in order, good governance so that we could adjust our attitude. And I tell you, Roy, when that day comes when we're all sitting at the table, this country will prosper when all of us better understand uh, that we are respected governments amongst each other, Indigenous people, we're rights holders, we're not shareholders, we're not stakeholders in this country. That's not a bad thing. Once we get there, Roy, I do believe that this country will be more economically strong, more socially impact strong, and together I feel we could get there. I've always wanted to ask you this question, because I think First Nations youth, on a percentage basis, um, it's it's more young people, First Nations people, young people under twenty five than on a percentage basis in any other um, group uh, in in this country. I'm not expressing this particularly well. My question is, how are young people on First Nations evaluating, assessing? what is being said, 
what is being promised, um, the things that are being done, when at the same time they look at situations where they don't have clean drinking water, where housing needs, in many cases, needs improvement. How are they see, How are they assessing promises with, with what they're seeing? Mm-hmm. A great question, Roy. Um, any Canadian in this country, Indigenous or not, wants the best for our youth. And uh, Indigenous, um, we, we also um, inherited uh, quite a situation our, ourselves to this point in, in a journey. Uh, we got NHL players like Ethan Bear, uh, who I tell you, Roy, is a huge inspiration to our youth. We, we got females, uh, males at, uh, in, in schools, universities, uh, trades, uh, just just doing great, amazing things, and we lift them up because they are the spotlights to our youth, uh, to the fuel for our youth. The situation that remains is um, there is an on-reserve versus off-reserve uh, challenge. Uh, many in the uh, cities that uh, are growing up in cities Indigenous, uh, it's very strong peer-to-peer. So uh, some of the culture is really tough to maintain. The language, uh, you know, the, the Cree, the the Mohawk, uh, it, it's tough to continue that culture uh, when you're immersed in such a, a big multicultural uh, city. Uh, on the reserve, um, you know, the, the mold in houses, the uh, um, um, lack of, of quality water, um, it, it takes its toll. Uh, the, the most important table, Roy, for our youth is the kitchen table in all these homes. And around those kitchen tables, uh, we have many uh, that are so strong, but we also have to understand that intergenerational trauma is real. You know, the grandparents uh, who were forced to go to residential school, um, they're trying to get back their vertical lineage strength again uh, in that family, grandma to mom to daughter to granddaughter. Parents, uh, some have, some didn't go to residential school, but were raised by residential school survivors. Some of them are trying to figure out how to be strong parents again because residential school uh, took that uh, out of that vertical lineage. So our youth, Roy, um, are looking uh, to prosper in this country like everybody else. Some of them put the weight of this history on their shoulders and want to show their parents and grandparents that they can succeed. Sometimes kids in our sports teams, in our schools that are sitting there being Indigenous, uh, they, they will prosper, but when they go home, and I'm not trying to say Indigenous people are pitiful in this country, right? but what I'm saying is sometimes those Indigenous youth go home and they are the light of the family. So they have weight in their family. They got a hold too. So that's why we have to, as Canadians, empower our youth so that they can get to where we always should have been as Indigenous people in this country, well, Canada, where everybody should be succeeding. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.